I'm Pez, and he's Jeff, and this is the first ever In A Huddle Show. And as far as we're aware, Jeffrey, Donna, Emma, <laughs> it is the only show of its kind in the whole world. Is it? A talk show dedicated specifically for youth football development. First of many um, that we'll be doing, hopefully, and... Let's see if it catches on. They'll be doing it all over the world after this, won't they, Donna? Yeah. I can see that sporting radio award right now, <laughs> Jeff. You going up, picking it up, and uh, some big speech saying thanks, Pez. You'll have to go up and get it. You're, you're the eye candy in the operation here, so you, you, you can go and pick up the trophy. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> right. We, we kind of went back into normal mode then, didn't we? Normal this is my um, favourite question coming up, by the way. Oh, is it? Would you yeah. want to read it out then, Jeffrey? I'm a manager of a grassroots team and the parents have suggested a WhatsApp group. What are your thoughts? My <laughs> goodness. Anyone that's involved in any sort of WhatsApp group will probably have an opinion on this. My advice would be very, very careful. And for, on more than one count, really. But, yeah, be, be careful with it. I think they should only be used for important information. And I think that's why they all start out. Um... But then, because yeah. you've got a mix of characters and a mix of different people, it can become awkward. And also, if you say the wrong thing, they can screenshot it and it's kept forever. That is true. So, yeah, you have to be careful on, on that thing. Actually, you have to be aware that anything that's contentious or brings a game into disrepute, you can get in trouble for. So if someone does screenshot it... Um, actually, there's a local club here. It was an adults team. Um where they were having a bit of banter on their WhatsApp group and a mother of one of the, the younger players screenshotted it, sent it to the FA and they got banned. Won't name the club, but it was, um, yes, awkward to say the least sometimes. Um, yeah, I'd say, Jeffrey, would you just, because obviously you run one for the, the futsal team, but maybe try and stick away from the banter, personal gripes or opinions. Yeah, and then even when you try and say, can we keep the banter down to a minimum, then you just get hammered for about two hours saying hashtag no bants and things like that. So. I know, and to be honest, I'm as guilty as the next person of uh, ah. starting a little bit of banter on some of the groups I'm involved with. Yeah. Um, so it is difficult, but um, people interpret what you've put in different ways, normally based on what their own character is or how they're feeling at that time. So if you're feeling angry at the time and someone's put something on there, you might take it that they've written it angrily when they're yeah. kind of tongue-in-cheek. Well, they so. actually did write it like that. Yeah, you never know. You, you know, never know. I'm yeah. looking at our WhatsApp group right now and I can see Danny Harrison is typing a message. So. <laughs> Says it all, doesn't it? Let's see if I can we read this out. We haven't forgotten that you've sent a question in, Danny. It's just that we need to research it for the answer. We'll give you that next time. Yeah, it's a great yes, question, Danny. sent in a great question. And it's so good we are going to look into it because it needs a proper researched answer, doesn't it? But yeah, yeah. just be careful with your WhatsApp group. If you can keep them... Basically, if you don't keep it to a minimum and just important information, two things happen. That important information gets lost. So if you're running a team like I do, you can say, we're meeting Sunday, 12.30 for a 1.30 kickoff. We're wearing blue, blah, blah, blah. And then loads of banter comes in about other stuff and people don't read them all and that's missed. That's why a Facebook page is better. I like Facebook yeah, closed pages. Closed Facebook, Facebook pages. Page. And it does say on there now, doesn't it, on Facebook, whether people in the group have seen it so you can't because that's the yeah. great thing about what's happened you can see who's seen it instantly who's read it and but you're not going to lose the, the thread like you said the thread of information is not going to get lost it will stay in like a block and you can just look for that one individual block how that annoying is that though when you write something in a group you can see someone's read it and ignored you 
yeah. there's that side of it as well. But again, people are busy. People I, I once just said, got in the car and read it before they drove off and things. You know, you have to. I once said that to one of my players who likes a drink at the weekend, and he said, "Yeah, but it doesn't tell you what state I'm in when I read it." <laughs> Uh, yeah, good answer. That's yeah. good for youth football development, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, a good point in WhatsApp groups in general. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you're using them for to put in opinions and why didn't Tiny Tim play any minutes in the second half today or what's your opinion on this, that and the other, then I think it become come a bit out of control. And the, what will end up happening is people will leave the group. Well, then there's little clicks come, so... Yeah. That the people that agree with a certain opinion will then start their own WhatsApp group. Yeah, just just either don't do it or literally have some real strict rules or a yeah. separate banter group. Just yeah. say this is the banter, but then you've got to be careful as well because if you're saying things that um, bring the game into disrepute or anything contentious, it be used against you. It's just so minefield. It. Yeah, stay off it. I would stay off. I run one for my group, and we've had four or five of the dads leave the group this season. Oh. Um, for various different reasons. So you have, not like the banter. You have to be careful. There, there's a bit of that, and there's you know there's a bit of, oh my goodness, I've been at work all day, and now I've got to read through seventy six messages, and I'm not prepared to do that. And turn off, mute the notifications. Yeah, but still, you don't want to scroll down. That's what I mean about people can oh, lose right, yeah, the important scrolling. information. Mm-hmm. They have a little. I think our under thirteens have got Facebook and WhatsApp. But it can what? it should work as a as a tool. Do you it mean should the, say parents, the parents? The parents, the parents have. I was yeah. like children no, not under the, not, 13? not the children, no, but the parents have. Um so they put where the next game is and yeah. travel information and anything that's important on there. Yeah. It's it's better than the old days where you've got to ring around people individually and say, Are you available for this and can you do that? And, and then you're on the phone all night. <laughs> that's much better, but it has to gotta be police properly. Hashtag banter police. <laughs> <laughs> True, but then some of it is very funny, but we won't go into that because, uh, like I say, it depends who it's aimed at and <laughs> <laughs> the interpretation of that banner. So Good the question. answer to that question, which is no. a great question, is just be careful. It's no. It, well, it's just no, <laughs> don't do it. So you're saying that I should delete mine from my team. Yeah. Right, good. So we're all in agreement. Be careful. Right, next question. Emma, we haven't heard from you in a while. I'm still trying not to say anything horrible about WhatsApp, that's all. Um, can you not just put a message on there going, look, I don't want your opinion. Be there. Yeah, yeah well, it's, like it's just... easier said than done, isn't it? You uh, want to be like me, no interpersonal skills. It's great. Um, okay, <laughs> so the next question. How many a side would you recommend is best for youth development? Four. Why four, Donna? It's an even number. It's <laughs> a good start. <laughs> well, I'm thinking, you know, ratios to do with children and learning in nurseries and schools. Yeah. They have um, a certain ratio of children to adults. Does that apply in futsal and football and things so that they can get... Well, yeah, actually, the refer- uh, the FA recommend, is it 1 to 16? Yeah. Well, we like 1 to 12, don't we? Maximum, if we can. Yeah. You've got an um, awesome ratio of adults to children. It works really well because you give attention to kids when they need it. And you can just let them get on with it when you don't, but you so, can still see them. So what's your ratio? One to 12? One to 12, we, nice. we think is a, a maximum. Um, but the beauty of what we do at Peza Street Soccer is everyone's got a ball each and can kind of go at their own pace and it's very individual training. So you can leave kids to get on with it and just oversee. So you, yeah. we can do a large number of kids, but we just choose to try for the one to 12 if we can. Okay. So we can go and help the ones that need it and... 
if once people are finding it easy, we can break that down into different elements and find out ways of making those elements harder for that individual or easier. Is this question aimed at how many people we should be on each side of a team? Yeah. Right, okay. Jeff's got a few (laughs) um, pointers on this one, I'm sure, because we talked about this just yesterday. Um, I, I always think if you go and do it yourself, you find out a little bit more about how taxing it can be. So 1v1s are great. Yeah. But it's really hard work. So the less players you've got, the harder the players got to work because they're doing more all the time, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So if you're an 11 aside, you can hide for half an hour and not touch the ball. If yeah. it's 1v1, you're constantly either trying to win the ball back or take taking someone on. 2v2 then gives you an extra uh, decision to make, whether you're going to try and take somebody on or pass the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and then that equates to defending as well. Are you going to drop off or are you going to press? And there's things you can yeah, add into so the it. the decision element comes into it. But when it actually comes to playing games, I think, this is only my opinion, um, if Coutinho didn't play anything other than futsal until he was about 16 and just played 5v5 most of the time, I don't see why, if it works for the best players and it did for Pelé and... Neymar and Ronaldinho and Ronaldo, then why not try and mimic that and maybe do it better? So the younger they are, probably the lesser side it should be. So I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, I've written down one v ones, two v twos, three v threes, four v four, five v fives, and futsal. Anything yeah. above that, in terms of youth development, yeah, you, no, you've got to balance it out, right? Because it's easy to say one v ones, but you might have a coach uh, at a grassroots team that's got a small hall or a small area to work in, and that means. He can only have one or two pitches. And if you're only doing 1v1s and you've got a squad of 16 mm. to 20, you've got kids set out. Yeah. Well, that's no good for those no. kids that set out. So you have to balance it out. So yeah. Then it might be 3v3s or 4v4s. You don't. You will need to maximise your time so you can't yeah. have kids set out for long periods of time. So how many games do you have roughly on a going at a time? So you, know, you said... As many as we can, really, depending in a on coach ratios yeah. and, and, and space. Okay. I think this question is actually aimed at game days and kids, isn't it? So I think the, so, the yeah. F, the FA have got guidelines on this and people are supposed to stick to them in their leagues and things. Do you have these guidelines in front of you, Pezza? Do you, um, do you know... They a, say under sevens and under... Eight, I think it is. It's five aside. Five aside, yeah. Um, and then nines and tens is sevens, and then elevens go to nines. Yeah, I think that's right. And then anyway, is it thirteens go to eleven aside? Eleven aside. And they've done a lot of research. Again, it's about the more players you've got on a pitch, the less contact time they have with the ball. The less contact time you have with the ball, less development. The less the development you're going to get. So it's about maximising that. So they've done the research and. The FA have done really well here and they say 5v5 for the younger ones so they get more contact time with the ball, make more mistakes and learn from those mistakes and then they're going to be better players. Now, what I see a lot is in the younger age groups is managers saying to the other manager, we'll play six aside today, mate. And pretty much happens all the time is their 6v6 games. And I think if you're doing that, you're letting your kids down. Um Throw it out there, and I know a lot of people that are listening have done it or do it, but it's 5v5 for a reason, Jeff. Yeah. Um, people say, well, yeah, it's all very well and good, but I've got 15 in the squad and I have to keep them all happy and all that. Well, yeah, okay, but the ones you've got on the pitch aren't getting as much contact time with the ball. And if you've got a big squad, there are things you can do. You know, we had a coach last year with the under 10s, Sarah, um, who used to set up a little pitch with mini goals on the side so that her subs that we call impact players because we don't like the word sub um, 
could play 1v1s and 2v2s and keep warm and still get in touches of the ball yeah. on the side. You know, you've got to be a little bit imaginative about it. Um, or have a game amongst yourselves after your game or before the game so that everyone's... Yeah, so if you've got a big squad, you could either agree with the opposition that you play a little bit longer at the end yeah. or you play against yourself. If, like, if you're at home, yeah. home game, it's dead easy. You just stay on for 10 minutes afterwards and give everyone a good run out against each other. Loads of things you can do, but it should be 5v5. Or 7v7, depending on the age. My yeah. lot are under 10s and they play 7v7. Welcome to the first ever The Inner Huddle Show with Pez and Jeff, Donna and Emma. How's everyone doing? All right? Yes. Enjoying it? Very different to our normal show, isn't it? But it is. um, I'm enjoying it in different ways to normal, but it is, it's good, Jeffrey. And you're adding value this week as well, Jeff. It's about time. He's only been on air he for He always about six adds months. value. He Thanks, does. Donna. He does. He always do. Right. Um, should say, I mean, we've had loads of texts and reactions coming in. Um, I should say there's many different ways of doing things, aren't there, Jeff? And this, yeah. what we say is just our opinion based on our years of experience. Um, and some success. Stories, and some success. Yeah. So, yeah, we can back up the way we do it. But there are many different ways of doing youth coaching and, and, and getting results. Yeah, this it is, is only opinions. It's only our opinions. Yeah. And we should say, probably, that it's not... <laughs> anyone's opinion at any club or organisation that we are part of either. No. This is um, purely our own and what we believe. Right. Glad we got that bit out of the way. Right. I'll go with the next question. Go question number eight on the inner huddle. Can you advise a way I can encourage my players to keep their heads up? Now, we've read this, Jeffrey, haven't we, as keep their heads up as in a training playing with their heads up so oh, they I can see. I thought you actually as they're dribbling with the ball, Yes, maybe. when they're dribbling yeah. with the ball rather than... Back yes, no, we, we believe this question is to do with not how do we keep my kids' heads up when the chips are down, but how can we get them to encourage them to play with their heads up? Yes. That's what we're Put going for. giant orange cones it. on the field. That, giant orange cones that they have to keep tripping over if they don't look up. <laughs> there are lots of different ways, but we can only say what we do, Donna. Um, <laughs> and the simple answer is all your practice sessions, you encourage them to keep their heads up. Yeah. Scanning. Do you want to explain what scanning is for those that might not know? It's a buzzword, I guess, in football. Yeah, um, I liken it to when you're learning to drive and every time you enter a new road, um, you've got to check your wing mirrors, check all your mirrors, haven't you? Um, it's a bit like that in football, but looking over your shoulder and checking your shoulders and just seeing where the opposition are, where your teammates are, where the sidelines are, where the goal is. and Taking in as much information yeah. as you can. So We call it scanning, so we try and throw in the word scan as many times as we can. Um, so it becomes a habit for the scan. kids. Scan and then scan. They, but like when you're having a driving lesson, like, mirror. Yeah. Mirror. Exactly like that. Mirror. Yeah. And the, the person that got me into it was Nigel Atkins when I worked with him at Southampton Football Club. He used to do it with the first team. Watch out, scan, scan, because they know that you need to take in say, all what the do you information. Shout out? Does it does it not put them off um, when you constantly say heads up? Do you know what? It's much better than telling them what to do. Yeah. Because you want kids to make their own decisions so they learn from the mistakes that they make or the successes that they have. So if you're currently shouting pass or switch it or um, all those kind of instructions, mm. then they're you not, may as well be playing the PlayStation. Yeah, because you're not... They're not making they're not their own decisions. It, yeah. So things that encourage them to make their own decisions and correct decisions would mm. be scan, head up, so that they're taking in their own information and they're making their own decision based on those and then... Improving on the feedback that they're getting themselves. Wow. But the um, the biggest thing I think we do is we wanted to come up with some sort of training aid. Going back to training aids again. Uh -huh. um, and about 10 years ago, um, Jeff and I came up with the idea of having... At the time, it was head-up caps. So oh. instead of bibs, 
Yeah. We um, would either bib them up all the same colour. Yeah. Um, or they'd be all in the same training kit anyway. Or they'd be in the same training kit. So we wouldn't have bibs to differentiate the teams. Big word for me. Um, and they'd have different coloured caps. So they'd have to keep so, their head up to look. To know who was on their, their team and who wasn't. <gasps> thing we found with the caps was they got very sweaty and they were hard to watch. So then I went to beanies. So I bought a load of different coloured beanies and they used to wear beanie hats. Now, we do a lot of coaching indoors. Yeah. So we found that they were getting all hot and sweaty and, and started to overheat. So then we came up with head-up bands. So we use um, literally sweatbands around the 1980s head. 1980s yeah. Proper. And the kids physical. love it. Once they get over that little bit of fun and a bit of banter that they're all wearing headbands, it is one of the best training aids we've ever come up with. Yeah, um, and loads of clubs have seen it now and have copied it, which is great. But then going back to your jumpers for goalposts, you said about earlier, Donna. Yeah, it would just be facial recognition when you're in the park with your mates because you wouldn't be in the same kits no. and bibs. So yeah. it's the same idea as that again. It's just taken on to another level. To be completely accurate with it, they'd all have to be wearing the same shorts, socks, and trainers. Because Beautiful. Yeah. I used to play with my head down as a kid, and I used to know who was on my team by what trainers they were wearing. Uh. Yeah. So it's not an exact science, but it does help. So the head-up bands are something that we use quite a lot and have used for about 10 years. Yeah. But it's a dead simple thing. Instead of bibs, we use head-up bands. And there's coaches at Southampton Football Club that have seen it um, when they've come to watch our sessions. And now we implement it down there as well, which is nice. So they say the best coaches are the best thieves, aren't they? And they, they take things off other people. But as far as I'm aware, I didn't know of anyone else that was doing that before we did it, Jeff. Nope. And there's plenty of other things we've got as well, but we'll um, we'll come on to Good that. question. Good question. Anything else you want to add on that, Jeff? Encourage players to keep their heads up. Um, I, we um, do a lot of individual coaching, don't we? So yeah. um, originally I would just coach the technique with where the foot should be and how will you balance here. And, and yeah. now I like to add in, can you do it with your head up and what can you see over your right shoulder? Sometimes we ask kids to hold up one finger or whatever you know and the, and the person doing yeah you're working in pairs and the person that's doing the skill has to say oh you've got five fingers up and two fingers and then you know they're doing it with their head up and there's loads of things we yeah. do like that and then you can stand behind them so they have to scan over their shoulders and shout out how many you can do it with coloured cones, cones and, and yeah right should we move on to question number nine then yeah. who's going to read out nine Emma we haven't heard from you for a while uh, just I, thought I'd keep on your toes and wake you up I don't Thank mind you, reading yeah. that one out it's <laughs> alright oh go on then because it's short Jeff yeah. can have it what are your thoughts on the retreat rule Right, Jeffrey, do you want to explain to people that might not know what the retreat rule is? Yep, so in new football, you'll quite often get a goalkeeper that's put in goal, maybe because they're not the best with their feet, so they're being goal to save shots. So it might be what they're best at, and they love being in goal. It's up to each manager how they work it out. It might be an outfield player that's put in goal for a game and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but what you'll quite often find with the really young ones, they'll struggle to kick the ball out from... Uh, a goal kick and and you to won't get be able to get any distance on it yes yeah. so the the opposition would all stand on the edge of their penalty area waiting for their under hit pass um, and then they'll just get the ball and smash it past them a in the goal big centre forward who can kick the ball the hardest will yeah. get it and smash it and in. that doesn't develop any football players so the retreat rules brought in where the opposition have to go back to the halfway line literally retreat back to it Yeah. Um, and then it should allow the the team that have the goal kick to play out from the back so they can pass to somebody without any pressure and, and they get their head up and they can play out from the back is the idea. Um, it's a mini soccer rule, should say. Yeah. So it's under sevens to under tens. Um, and it's quite a long period of time, four years. Yes. Um, four seasons. 
that, um, that they play in this retreat rule. Now the problems, because everything's got its pluses and its negatives. Yep, everything has, yeah. The problems I find with it is um, quite often the coach of the team who've got the goal kick, they'll pass it out to the person who's got the biggest kick and then they'll just launch it forward. So you're yes, not so actually... wait for the big... So all the opposition have retreated. I'm explaining this to you, Donna, because no, I presume you don't know what the retreat was. I'm trying to mentally visualise this. So they're all... The, the, the opposition have gone back so to the So they're all lined up line. on the halfway line, they're yeah. halfway line. And so they need the they need to kick the ball forward to go to their yeah, goal, from which a is goal down kick. here. Yeah. So they need the room to... So, yeah, if they're kicking that ball straight over... Well, what they tend to happen is, like Jeff's saying, they play it to the player who's got the biggest kick on that team, and they okay. wait for the kind of the rush. Yeah. So when they get closed down, and then they, and then they hoof it over their heads anyway. Which no. isn't developing good football no. players who can pass out from the back. That's one problem. I actually think it's a great training tool for the team that is defending and not got the goal kick because they'll all go back to the halfway line and then they'll go and press in packs because they'll see it the is ball's a great gone tool there. For teaching the press, isn't it? So I, I would actually argue that it's not helping players because they're not being put under the pressure of being able to play out from the back um, there must be other rules that you could do rather than taking it from inside the six yard box or from the goal line or wherever the goalkeepers take the goal kick take it from the edge of your penalty area um, because then you are that much closer to your teammates anyway um, rather than making the other team retreat back because what you're stopping is playing under pressure um, which is an important part of the game for me probably one of the most important parts of youth development yeah I, I don't like it with my team because I want to encourage them to play under pressure yeah so but I still can and managers can and it, uh, not a lot of them seem to be aware of it you can ignore it so if you get a goal kick your team they can put it yes. down and play before straight the away team have, have, have and it's your choice not to get them to retreat yeah. back yeah I think simple rule change um so that it can be request, requested, sorry, um, rather than it being a, a rule every time. Yeah. Would be similar. So if your goalkeeper or whoever takes your goal kits is struggling to get it far enough and the other team keep picking it up and it's becoming a bit of a farce, you can request to the referee, can the opposition please retreat? Yeah. And then it's, it's dead simply done. Right. Okay. Welcome to the inner huddle. Right then, Jeff, we are nine questions in. Um, we have 15. We're not going to get them all done, are we? So no. we'll have to roll over some for next week. But I think we'll crack on straight with question number 10. Um, what are the main differences between coaching adults and children? The two important things there, Jeffrey, are that they are two completely separate things and children are not many adults. Yes. That's what I jotted down when I first saw that question. Do you want to elaborate? Um, the FA have done a great video, I think, that you can look up on online. Um, Ray Winston. Yeah, and uh, there's a child in a full-size goal in a top that's probably an adult's goalkeeper top, and it just looks ridiculous, the size of him in the goal. So everything's got to be scaled down, and everything's got to be fun, as far as I'm concerned, if it's for kids. With adults, it can be all about results and stuff like that, if that's the way you want to be, because their development, they've been through all those years, whereas with the kids, it's all about development fun. Keeping their love of the game is yeah, most important. they've got to want to come back every week. Exactly. Um, keeping it simple, children's football should all be about the technical side of the game, I think, um, and keeping their love of the game. And adults, that's when the tactics start coming in because that's when it's important to actually win games of football. Yeah, things are riding on it then. It's not when it's kids. And we actually think that football should be treated as an individual sport um, up to the age of 12 years, or certainly through the primary school yeah. age groups and junior schools. 
So until they get to big schools, view football as an individual sport because it's played by individuals. But too many people forget that and then yeah. literally put a group of kids together and try to make them perform as a team like Barcelona. Um, and before they can control the ball and before they can use both feet and before they can play with their head up, etc., etc., et before they can dribble, but they want them to move the ball from A to B to C and try and win yeah. a game of football and they just get it all around the wrong way. It's easy to watch pundits on the TV being experts about the game, sat in the pub with your mates, having the same conversations, and then to think, that's what I need to go and do with my kids' team in a training session for Sunday to win the next game. Um, but that isn't going to develop players, is it? No. It's just feeding your own ego, and that's what's got to be left out of it with kids' football. Exactly. It should all be about the individual, but we we know it's it's not true. It, it's all the wrong way around, we think, anyway. Um, get the kids to be as best as they can individually, and then get them to see how they can work together with an end result, which is to try and win a game of football, but that shouldn't be. That's an outcome. Yeah. Again, it's the process is getting each kid to fulfil their own individual potential. It is equivalent, Jeff, and we've said it before, of throwing a load of kids in a room with different instruments, so guitar, triangle, whatever it is, drums, and then a coach or a conductor, whatever it is, standing there and just expecting them to make songs together before they've mm-hmm. mastered their instrument. It's exactly the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. And it's just going to be a, a rabble. But if you're... Coach shouts at them long enough, they might be able to, after a couple of years, play a good bar bar black sheep or something together. But it's all pretty average and pretty boring. Yeah. Um, and there's no room for them to create beautiful music by themselves, is there? Because they can't yeah. play their instruments. It's dead simple. And the ball is an instrument. Yeah, it's my favourite analogy in sport. If you can't play your instrument, which is the ball, you're going to be part of average teams all your life. Sorry, really. There's a few exceptions Yeah. that we could pick out. But they, even they've gone through it by hard work dedication and making the most of what they've got yeah so anyway wow i was expecting that to be that was a lot very simple and that that was intense <laughs> man wow good right so 10 questions down um right so i think we're going to skip questions 11 12 and 13 for next week unless we get time so now on to question 14 who would like to read out question number 14 Emma, are you awake in there in the studio? Hello. Um, yeah, go on. Right, question number 14. My son is into freestyle, but I'm worried that the stuff he does isn't helping him to develop into a good footballer. Is this true? Great question. And Jeff, I know you're passionate about this because one of yeah. our topics at the moment at Pezza Street Soccer is freestyle, first touch and control. So over to you on this one. Um, it's For me, it's obvious and I can see it. Straight away, Messi, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Pele, Maradona. If you read the autobiographies and if you just look into their lifestyles, when they were growing up, they were freestyling in some form or another. I watched the Pele. Contact time with the ball. Yeah. Experimenting. Trying things out. Um, And freestyle can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, Professional freestylers will say it's the art of juggling the ball to entertain people. Mm -hmm. Um, we just think is you're free to try out your own style and find out what works for you and what doesn't. Um, when it comes to learning around the worlds and all the famous moves that really do impress people, um, it might not 
be something you ever see in a game of football, someone doing it around the world. But the mindset of learning that skill and mastering it and being able to do it over and over again is the most important thing. That's the key for me, yeah. the mindset. You have to practice and practice and practice to achieve something at freestyle. And, and learning that lesson, character. that lesson that if I keep at this long enough, I can get it or I can almost get it and then one day get it. That can be such an important life lesson. So freestyle, yeah, it looks amazing. It looks like flicks and tricks that... You won't use in matches. Yeah, that you're not ever going to show off in a game. Um, you could argue that JJ Okocha and Ronaldinho played mm. with a freestyle style, if you like, when they played. Yeah. Um, and they're probably the two of the most entertaining players that have ever played the game. Um, yeah, I mean, we're obviously dead passionate. We probably could talk about this one for quite some time. Yeah. But I think the key point here, you said a mindset. For me, it's confidence. You cannot achieve anything or excel at anything if you're low on confidence. Mm. And it's even with professional teams, they get thrown at them all the time, oh, they're lacking in confidence, blah, blah, blah. Um, achieving something through freestyle, a move that you couldn't do and then you can, gives you confidence. If you can do around the world when you're eight or nine in the playground at school and your mates can't, it gives you confidence. Yeah. And that's confidence you can take into your normal football. Also... A child should never be stopped from being creative and expressing themselves at anything. Don't care whether it's painting or Dungeons and Dragons or whether it's football. Couldn't care less. You shouldn't tell a child you shouldn't be creative and you shouldn't express yourself. If they want to do freestyle, you let them do it. That's my opinion. But in terms of football training, you do have to have a balance because a kid that can do 50 round the world in five minutes is going to get really good at doing 50 round the world in five minutes. He might have good balance, coordination, agility and all that kind of stuff. But you do need to balance it out with other sides of his training. Unless he wants to be a freestyler, and why not? You let your child do what they want, don't you, Donna? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're too strict. No, they create, read books create, and go to bed early. No, they don't. Creativity-wise, yes. Yeah. Um, but they still need to have some sort of structure and some rules to follow within mm -hmm. that. So they can be creative, but within the walls of my rules. Yes, Donna's rules. We need to get Donna involved in the soft school, don't <laughs> we? Yeah, she knows what Set she's talking rules. about. Yes, she does. But yeah, it's in set, setting the environment where kids can express themselves is the key. And freestyle's a bit of fun. Fall in love with the ball, get loads of touches, and why not? Um, shouldn't be dismissed. And again, normally dismissed by people who don't understand it and can't do it themselves. Yeah. Simple, isn't it? Good. Right. What's the last question we've got? Oh, nice and simple. We could go on all day with this one. What's the best bit of advice you could give a team coach that's just starting out with a new team? For banter, I'd love to say, don't do it. But it's not our normal show, so we'll try and be serious with it. It's difficult, because it depends on what age group for a start, doesn't it, Jeff? Yeah. Um, with young children, as a coach, your responsibility is, one, to keep them safe, um, and two, to keep their love of the game alive. That's the two biggest responsibilities. Everything else is down to opinions and research and finding out what works for you. Um, Maybe how lucky you get with the parents. Yeah, you could go on, you know, yeah. we, we could talk about this on a whole show, but keeping it simple, let your kids play, maximise your time. Don't get kids sitting out or waiting in queues. Um, and I think the most important thing is, and we've mentioned it before, rather than studying training techniques and drills and getting thousand session plans, study the psychology and put it into practice and see what works. The environment you create is key. And that'll be the same at a school, a nursery or anything. The environment your teachers create, that learning environment, is the single most important thing. I think we'll leave 
the questions there for today. There's three left here that we haven't, uh, and one great one from Danny Harrison that's come in on the text that we'll research a bit more. What was that one about that was wants to do his um, goalkeeper coaching um, and just how to go about it? Yeah, and he's openly admitted himself that he doesn't like reading and writing so much. So Will that hold him so back? So paperwork, yeah. he doesn't yeah. want to do the paperwork. Okay, so, so we'll look into that. Um, and these three questions we've had in as well. Do you agree with what Gareth Southgate said? Which was, for me, taking a seven, eight-year-old uh, into an academy is too young. The dream is there, but it's impossible at that age for anyone to know what's going to happen. If not, why? We've had, are we sending kids to dream at such a young age? Um, and the word burnout, or the opinion my child does too much. And that's keeping those questions very short because they're quite long ones. So we will expand on those and answer those next week along with Danny's and any other questions that's come in. Thank you, everybody.